Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, September 3rd. It was a day we knew was coming at the U.S. Open. Day 3 bringing us 7 upsets on the women's side, 2 on the men's side. But of course, we spent so much time over this past month talking about the parody on the WTA Tour. It should surprise no one that this was a day we saw top-seeded Karolina Pliskova get knocked out. Of course, there were so many other great matches. We're going to recap all of them on today's podcast, preview all of the action scheduled for Day 4. Joining me to do just that as he has... Every day of this U.S. Open, you, of course, know him as our Crack Rackets do everything. A former Denison men's tennis great, the only undefeated coach in Missouri high school tennis history, James Foster McDonald. Jamie, how are you doing this morning? Not too bad. Uh, doing my thing, getting up early. I'm in a rhythm now. So, hey, if there's any reason to get up early and prepare, it's for the U.S. Open tennis. <laughs> I completely agree with you. We have gotten in a habit of recording these podcasts before the day's action start. And of course, it allows us to reflect, to look back on the day, not give too rapid of a hot take the night of, but come back in the morning, have our thoughts reflect, you know, have our thoughts collected, and then we can reflect upon them. And let's start with what I said in the opening, Jamie. We saw seven seeds knocked out on the women's side. It really did feel like this was a reckoning. It really did feel like through the first two days, we just did didn't see enough upsets and it was almost you know eerie the fact that that didn't happen and then you know today the the floodgates sort of opened yeah absolutely I mean this is what you this is what happens and WTA draws I mean look when we were trying to fill out Turnitopia brackets you know we were talking okay which seeds are going to fall because we know seeds are going to fall we just don't know when and where Um, and you know the answer was day three at the U.S. Open so a lot of big names falling in this one you already mentioned it um, you know including Carolina Pliskova, the number one seed. So a lot of surprises, but again, even though they might individually be surprises, the fact that all these upsets are happening, expected at some point. Yeah, it was a day when a 6-1-5-1 lead was blown on the women's side, and that's not the headline on the day. And so it just speaks to the sort of action we saw. And we're going to be doing today's podcast a little bit differently. These first three days, and traditionally on these recap pods for the slams, we do a couple of match breakdowns, four to five, and then we sort of run through the rest of the day's action. There were so many interesting upsets on the women's side that we want to talk about all of them as a group today. Of course, then We'll run through the rest of the men's upsets, the three-set matches on the women's side, the five-setters on the men's, and talk about how the top seeds performed on day three. Of course, then we will preview the day four matches all of you fans can look forward to. If you want to hear our picks for day four, go pop over to the Great Shot Podcast where you can hear Jamie join me for a GSP ace of the day. Jamie filling in 
for Max Rothman. We gave our picks. He kept me grounded as always. So if that's something you're looking for, be sure to go check that out. Of course, the reason we're able to do so much fun contact here on the mini break, the reason we're able to recap each day of this Grand Slam, make sense of all of the matches we see, is because of the support we get from our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar. And I'm going to keep things simple again today. Look good, feel good, play good. Midwest Sports, Aerobar, Cracked Rackets. Midwest Sports, your spot for any need you have in terms of equipment from the tennis world, whether it be strings, shoes, shirts, rackets, grommets, grips. They've got it all, and you can find it all on their website, MidwestSports.com. You don't know exactly what you need. Don't worry. Their well-trained staff can help you find what is sure to bring out the best in your game. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use our promo code CR15. Same deal with Aerobar. It's the only tennis-specific energy bar in the business. Delicious cinnamon, honey, oat, and chocolate chip flavors. And best of all, it comes with a podcast as well. Our Getting to the Point episodes with our friends at Aerobar. So valuable as they continue to emphasize the importance of nutrition, fitness in the modern tennis game. We've had guests like Brenda Schultz-McCarthy, Jay Berger, Michael Russell, Bjorn Fertangelo. Uh, It's been such a pleasure for me to get to record those episodes the way you can support our friends at Aerobar. Going to aerobar.com using our promo code cracked15, letting them know that we sent you there. And again, Midwest Sports Aerobar, we're so grateful for their continued support. The least we can do is ask you to support them as well. All right, Jamie, with that being said, let's get into today's matches. And as I mentioned, let's start on the women's side. So many upsets on the day. We saw seven seeds, as I mentioned. Get knocked off in order from highest to lowest seed. Carolina Pliskova, the number one seed, knocked off in straight sets by Caroline Garcia. 6-1-7-6. We saw Shelby Rogers take out Elena Rybakina. Sasinovich knock out Von Drusova. Ann Lee knock out Ali Risk. Madison Brangle over Yastremska. Gracheva, as I mentioned, 6-1-5-0 down, uh, 5-1 down to Mladenovic. She comes back. 1-6-7-6-6-0. And then Marta Kostyuk who I said on our GSP Ace of the Day was going to knock off number 31-seeded Sevasova. She did just that, 6-3-7-6, moving on to the third round of a slam for the second time in her young career. Jamie, which of those upsets jumps off to you as the most surprising? Man, it's kind of a hard decision, right? Because you look at these, and it's it's incredible that they were all, I mean, all with, you know, with the exception of Mladenovic, they were all straight sets, and some of them very convincing. Um, for example, Yastrzemska, someone I had going deep into this draw, only wins five games against Pringle. Um, Ali Risk only wins three games. So it's just, not only were they knocked out, but in just such a convincing manner. Um, in terms of the most surprising, I think your answer has to be Karolina Pliskova, just because of how dangerous she is, the number one seed in the tournament. Um, I mean, credit to Caroline Garcia for getting this done, particularly in straight sets. Pliskova, just not good enough in this one. You know, you look, she only had 13 winners. And for her to only have 13 winners and her opponent to have double the amount of winners, she's just not, I mean, given her game, you know, that's just never going to be a good answer. So I think if I'm saying which one I'm most surprised by happening, it's probably Pliskova. But Yastrzemska is probably my second one just because I expected a lot for her from her this tournament. And, you know, she gets knocked out two and three. 
Yeah, Yastrzemska's number one to me, and we'll get there in a second. But just to stick on your point with Pliskova, and like I said, we're not going to do full breakdowns, but we are still going to look at these stats because why not take advantage of the fact that the U.S. Open has distance covered, winners, unforced errors, net points. That's not things we often get to enjoy from these slam websites. But yeah, for Karolina Pliskova, you know, superficially, if I would have told you she's going to make 65% of her first serve points, if I would have told you she was going to go 24 of 39 on those points, you'd be like, oh yeah, she's got a really Really good chance to win this match, but I mean, Caroline Garcia, why we had Pliskovan upset alert, they were 3-3 three to three in their career head-to-head, and just quite frankly, Carolina Pliskova hadn't shown enough over the past six months of competition to say, oh yeah, the number one seed's a definitive favorite over a fellow top 50 player in Caroline Garcia, someone who's obviously so dangerous at this point in her career. And for Garcia, it was just such a high percentage match. She wasn't intimidated by Pliskova's power. She played to big targets. She played to the outer thirds of the court, got Pliskova stretched. She also played to good margin, right? 30 winners against 17 unforced errors, 63 percent on the first serve, 61 percent on the second serve. She goes, uh, I believe, 12 of 21 on return points on the Carolina Pliskova second serve. So that's a 57 percent conversion rate for Garcia. What that tells me, Jamie, is Caroline Garcia was able to do uh, a lot of dictating in this match. And for Pliskova, 13 winners against 19 unforced errors. There continues to just be no plan B for her when things aren't going right. And when they're going well, obviously, it looks really, really good. There's a reason she's a number one seed at a Grand Slam, but... This is the problem for Carolina Pliskova is there's always going to be one match in the seven that you have to win to win a slam that she's not going to play well, and there just continues to be no plan B. Yeah, I think you nailed it right there. I mean, look, she we all love watching her when she can slap her way through, but you know what? You're Like you said, you're not always going to be on fire, um, even if you are you know, at the very top, right? Even if you are the number one seed, you're never going to be perfect. So I think you're absolutely right, and I think this is an important stage for her and her career moving forward because... I think she needs to have that realization. There needs to be a bit more, you know, dimension to her game right now because, like, unless she can just sustain a level of being completely on fire and slapping from the baseline, I mean, this is going to happen. At uh, this is going to happen a lot of majors for her. Yeah, I mean, at this point of her career, I, I, she's got to be aware of it, and sure. I, I just think. It's tough to find a plan B when you're, what, 27, 28, this established into your career. And so, yeah, I mean, maybe there's a world still where she can pull off two incredible weeks. I'm not ready to count her out. I'm not ready to say her slam window has closed, but... There are just so many talented players right now in the WTA Tour, Caroline Garcia being one of them, that it didn't shock us to see the number one seed knocked out. You know, it legitimizes the fact that there wasn't really that much conversation around her coming into this U.S. Open, and obviously that's disappointing because, as you mentioned, we both have really enjoyed watching her compete over the years. We all see the talent, just not able to get over the hump once again in this one. To the other upset you mentioned, though, Jamie, <clears throat> uh, Madison Brangle, 6 2 6-3 over Diana Yastremska. And look, Madison Brangle is Mishpacha. She is, you know, part of the tribe, so I'm always going to root for a fellow member. But, you know, without being disrespectful to her game, she has no weapons to hurt Diana Yastremska. Madison Brangle is just going to make every extra ball. She's going to grind and grind and grind and throw you some junk here and there and just play high percentage tennis. For Diana Yastremska in this match, Jamie, 19 winners against 43 unforced errors. She wins 12 of 27 on her first serve points, 5 of 20 on her second serve points. I mean, 
like to a certain point, sure, it was a really high percentage performance for Brangle. But if your team, your Stromska, you're sitting there thinking, what are we doing today? Yeah, I mean, listen, that was just a terrible performance. You know, she lost in an hour 15 in a tournament where, honestly, I mean, I think I was not alone in seeing, you know, her section of the draw and, and the damage she could do. I mean, you already mentioned it, the winner to unforced error ratio, just horrible, right? I mean, you're throwing up 43 unforced errors. Granted, you talk about Bringle's game style, but you're having triple the amount of unforced errors um, as your opponent. Like, it's just, it, it was bad. Um, and look, you know, everyone has these sort of performances, right? You would think or you would hope that Yastrzemska could sort of, you know, steady the ship in the second set and maybe get to a third here. But, you know, credit to Bringle for not really allowing her to do that and, you know, only gives up five games in this one. Yeah, and I mean, look, for Diana Yastrzemska, uh, we saw that, you know, plenty of off-court nonsense during these past five and a half months and we saw a little drama between her and her coach Sasha Bajin on Twitter whatever after she lost to Osaka Sasha Bajin was like hey Osaka was the better player today Yastrzemska I thought I was the best player always in your eyes and whatever I, I I don't really care about that particular story what it is to say is there's a lot of off-the-court stuff going on for Diana Yastrzemska, and she's always been a player who's been volatile. The ceiling is so high, but the floor is probably three basements deep. And so it's just, for Yastrzemska, this sort of performance still happens too often. That's the takeaway for me here is this was a match, and, you know, she's in the Osaka portion of the draw, but it was her, I believe, Rybakina were in the same section, and you started to look at it, and you think, okay, Yastrzemska legitimately fourth round, maybe even quarterfinals here. Petra Kvitova, certainly a, one of the game's great champions these past 10 years, but a winnable match in 2020 if Diana Yastrzemska plays her best tennis, and it's like you just can't project that far forward with someone yet like Diana Yastrzemska uh, yet. You really do have to just go match by match by match, and I know that's really hard to do when we're trying to do preview podcasts and do all this projecting, but it's like, yeah, this was a stinker from Diana Yastrzemska, and that's not to take away any credit from Madison Bringle, who will force you to play a stinker every now and then just because of how many extra balls she makes, but I mean, you know my thoughts on Diana Yastrzemska. She was one of my most interesting players heading into these three weeks in New York, and I leave with a really, you know, I don't want to say a bitter taste in my mouth, but there's definitely, I, I feel disappointed. I wanted to see more. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's definitely disappointing, right? And, you know, this performance to cap it off, just as you mentioned, I mean, it's, it's not a good thing to leave your head. But listen, I mean, it is what it is. You know, we, we've seen we've seen this from Yastrzemska, right? And we hope that, you know, the maturity will come a bit more and there will be a little bit less weighted on the off-court activity and it's going to be more about her game and her head's in the right space because, as you mentioned, the ceiling's so high for such a talent like Yastrzemska. But right now, I mean, results like this, you know, even though they surprise us in a vacuum, you know, you think about it, you're like, okay, well, that's Yastrzemska, right? We've seen that before and we'll see it again, unfortunately. No, I looked at the board yesterday when we were doing our ace of the day, and Yastrzemska's odds were interesting, but I just thought, absolutely not. The way Madison Brangle's going to just make that extra ball, that's the sort of matchup that you worry about for Yastrzemska. And the difference between a Yastrzemska and a Pliskova, and I know, again, we'll move on from this match after this. I just want to make this last point because I'm curious what you think. Yastrzemska, the reason we talk about her ceiling, yeah, her, Sabalenka, Osaka on an elite tier, probably the Serena Williams tier of power that they can produce off of their racket. But Yastrzemska, unlike a Pliskova, also clearly has the athletic tools and the arsenal 
to have a plan B, to do other things than just see the brick wall and try and hit through the brick wall. And just too often, she doesn't even attempt to lose in a different way. It's just always, I'm going to slam through the court. I'm going to slam through the court, winner after winner after winner. And she just couldn't do that today. Yeah, and, and listen, this this is where you need somebody to be like, hey, listen, you don't have your plan A today. Let's go to plan B. And it's, you know, we talked about it as sort of a crippling thing with Pushkova not really having a plan B. But Sometimes that kind of helps because she's so assured in her game. You know, Yastrzemska assured that this was the right way to play it, right, and hit through the brick wall, as you say. But, I mean, simply just not, especially when you're not when you're not playing your best and you continue to do that over and over and over and just give free points with over 40 unforced errors in a match that lasts barely over an hour, like, you're going to lose and it's going to be bad. Like, at that point, what do you expect? Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. And again, credit to Madison Brangle. She did everything you want to do when you're playing someone like Diana Yastrzemska. But, you know, need to see more from Diana Yastrzemska. She's going to become, obviously, the champion we all think she can be. Again, you look at some of the other ones. Sasnovich, blowout over Von Drusova. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Marta Kostyuk, uh, as I mentioned, just really solid performance I'm telling you folks as age and I think she's now 18 so she'll no longer have the age uh, restrictions on her she's going to hit the top 100 in the next year that's just a promise from me to you the listener but you know three other interesting ones quickly I don't think we need to talk about the match but it was a nightmare for Mladenovic. 6-1-5-1 up. She blows it against Gracheva after the match she's talking about. Had I known I was going to go through what I was going to go through, I wouldn't have played this U.S. Open. Not I wouldn't have hung out with Benoit Paire. She's one of the Benoit Paire 11, obviously one of the players in super quarantine uh, following his positive test. But it was a meltdown. The body language reflected the meltdown. Just Nishkeith for Mladenovic. Two players, though, who... You know, I think their upsets are more about them and less about their opponents. Shelby Rogers and Ann Lee. Shelby Rogers, 5-1 and one over Rubakina. Ann Lee, 0-3 over Ali Risk. I mean, you called the Shelby Rogers prediction, Jamie, so hey, great shot to you. She is playing outstanding tennis. And then for Ann Lee, put her on the list with all the other talented young Americans, the Nisimovas, the Goffs, the Cece Bellises, the Kennans of the world. I mean... It is ridiculous how many good young American women are in the pipeline right now. Yeah, well, first of all, appreciate the credit. I was just waiting and waiting. I didn't want to toot my own horn, so I was just waiting for you to say something, so appreciate <laughs> it. Um, and yet, no, I mean, listen, there is such a long list and it seems like ever-growing list of young, talented American women. And that's a good problem to have, right? I mean, I think we're always hoping for such a problem. So yeah, to see some of these bigger results, um, especially in the second round and later of the U.S. Open, is really exciting and really promising for the future of American tennis. Yeah, and Patrick McEnroe got a really bad rep for his time at USTA, and it's just because the early 2000s, you know, the late aughts, early 2010s was just not a great time for American tennis, and, you know, now I think we're starting to see the byproduct, and a lot of it is Martin Blackman, Katrina Adams, the work they have done with this generation of players and staying the course, but, you know, it was the McEnroe team that identified this generation of talent, got them into the USTA system early and we are seeing the byproduct of those results I mean Ann Lee in this match against Allie Risk and Allie Risk wasn't great in this one you know for her she had I think 16 winners against 30 unforced errors but Ann Lee served 46% in this match and yet she still won it 
comfortably. She created 12 break points to, for herself versus risks one break point. I mean, I just, you know, 20 winners to 20 unforced errors, but it's so clear how easy the power is for her on the court. The best part about this young American generation is the contrast in styles. You have, you know, uh, Coco Goff, who is your grinder. You have an Amanda Nisimova, who's your typical baseline power player. You have, you know, obviously a Katie McNally, who's a power player but likes to move forward. You have people like Claire Liu. Katrina Scott's looked great, obviously, as well. Haley Baptiste. I mean, it's ridiculous. I'm just, it's a really exciting time to be a fan of American women's tennis. Yeah, the list goes on and on, and we can only hope it continues to grow and get deeper, right? Yeah, absolutely, and it really does feel like it might, and so that's a really fun place to be as fans of American tennis. All right, those were the women's upsets, and again, we, it was a matter of if, it was a matter of when, not if that was going to happen, and now the women's draw has really opened up in the top half, and it's going to be really exciting to see how this next week and a half plays out, but... Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleeve mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Let's get to all the other matches. Let's start with the men's upset. There are only two on the day, one of which I think is one we saw coming. The other one Definitely a little bit surprising. Mikhail Kukushkin, a five-set winner over Christian Guerin. He, you know, Guerin again went down two sets to love. He once again was able to grind his way back to a fifth, but in the end, Kukushkin just a little bit too, you know, a little bit better. He takes it. 6-2-6-1-3-6-6-4-7-5. You gotta love the fact, Jamie, that they hit the entire spectrum of scores there. One, two, three, four, five in each set. Uh, that was a fun one. And then, you know, a huge win for Alejandro Davidovich Fakina, who I think all of us, when he was 19 years old, putting up these really impressive results, thought to ourselves, okay, is this another young, talented next-gener who we should see in the top 50, top 100 really soon? He didn't take the big jump that some of his other peers have, and yet in his 6-4-1-6-6-2-6-2 win over Davidovich Fokina, which was a follow-up after a five-set win over Denis Novak, I think he equated himself really well. I think he showed off why people are so excited about him, his floor as a player, his movement, his athleticism. It's just, it's really noticeable, and it's something you have to take seriously in the modern game. Jamie, your thoughts on these two upsets? Yeah, so start with Davidovich Fokina. So he took out her catch, the 24 seed, right? And a really impressive win for him all the way around. I think, you know, you mentioned the young talent and what we expected from him. Um, you know, I'll be I'll be blunt. I didn't expect him to win this match, but to see him play the way he did was phenomenal. I mean, he is such an athletic player on the court, and he's very creative. I mean, you can see why he's such a clay quarter and why he's so comfortable on the clay. Really nice to see him make this transition on the hard court as well, because how many great you know Spanish clay quarters have we seen who just aren't really making the jump necessarily to the hard court? But Davidovich Fokina doesn't look like he's going to be in that camp, so I have really high hopes for him now. Um, but just a really impressive win, because her catch, absolutely not an easy match. To address Christian Guerin, another guy who we've had quickly, questions. Can, can we quickly stick with Davidovich Fokina? Yeah. 
Okay, just to quickly recap that, and I know I'm sorry I, I lump all of my thoughts together. I'm asking you to separate them because to your point on Davidovich Fokina in this match, and unfortunately the USTA website, it's one glitch happened to come for Davidovich Fokina in his winners to unforced errors, but you know, 68% of his first serves go in. He wins 68% of those points, 59% of his second serve points, creates 18 break chances for himself against Hercotts' six. I, I've, I keep using this term, but the the idea—you uh, watch Davidovich Fakina, he's just so spazzy on court. His feet never stop moving. He's just—he's constantly trying something different. He's constantly competing, constantly fighting, and, you know, that spazziness does manifest itself, I think, a little bit mentally. I think he can get down on himself. He can get angry, and yet, for, you know, he seems to channel that aggression, channel that anger as a way of motivating himself, and it's weird, but— it's interesting. I mean, especially with the French Open coming up, now that he's got a little bit of confidence at the slams, now that he's equated himself to three out of five set matches, he is a player who, the way this schedule has broken down, he's going to get two slam reps in, and depending on how his draw breaks down, he could find himself in the top 60 by the end of this season. Yeah, I think that's absolutely fair. I mean, you know, we already mentioned it. He is, you know, more comfortable on the clay. And so especially if he can continue, get another couple good results here and then, you know, move over to the French and do something impressive. Um, I mean, listen, it's definitely not out of the question. You mentioned sort of his spazzy play. You know, yes, sometimes it does result in an unforced error where you're just looking at him like, what are you doing? But also, you know, it absolutely keeps his opponents on their toes, right? Because sometimes he's just blasting forehands down the line. Sometimes he's just rolling in a high heavy. Sometimes he's throwing in the dropper, um, you know, and coming up with some sort of pass when he baits the other guy in. So he has a very creative game, which obviously I can respect and I love to watch. Sometimes a bit painful, though, when you see sort of the spastic nature and, and the uh, the random unforced errors here and there. But, hey, nobody's perfect, and bottom line, this is a really good win for him. Yeah, I mean, I'm really excited to seeing again how he continues to compete and that he's doing it on a fast, hard court. That feels notable because that is not the surface I would peg Davidovich Fokina as having his most success on. So good win for him. On the flip side, Kukushkin over Garen, that surprise you? Not really. I know you and I had both talked about this one offline as well as briefly mentioned on the pod as one that, you know, you definitely see Garen potentially going down here. For me, though, I thought once I was watching this match, I did think he was going to rally given, you know, his momentum in the third and fourth sets because, listen, that's pretty dang close to what we saw um, in round one for him. So I was like, hey, if he can do it once, he can do it again. But credit to Kukushkin for not letting that comeback um, completely come to fruition and taking care of business 7-5 in the fifth. For Christian Guerin, right, I mean, I think it's one of those things where we were wondering how he's going to do on the hard court. And, you know, realistically, the Western and Southern and now in New York, I guess they're technically both in New York, but for the sake of talking about it, we'll call it Cincinnati and the U.S. Open in New York. Not great, right? I mean, this does not instill confidence at all for Garen's game on the hard courts. Now, you mentioned the fact that it is a faster hard court, and, and, you know, so be it. But, you know, realistically, I would like to see a world where Garen isn't just a clay quarter and can actually translate that game across surfaces. Yeah, I, I would say because we came in and we did say in our preview podcast and a lot of the things we did, one of the big questions we had, how is Christian Guerin going to look on a non-clay court? And I think the jury's still out, right? I think, you know, the fact that he won so ugly so many different times here at this US Open and just played some really weird matches but still managed to compete well, it's probably a net positive, but... 
It was a weird two weeks, three weeks in New York for Christian Guerin. So, yeah, I think we still have more to learn about him as we see him compete more and more on hard courts. But, you know, those were the upsets on the day. We had only a couple of three-set and five-set matches, respectively, on the men's and women's side. It was really a day of blowouts or a day of just solid victories. Uh, in the women's matches, two three-set wins, one for 24-seeded Magda Lynette, a 6-1, 6-7, 7-6 win over Kavinic. Jess Pagula continues her momentum. Really tricky match against Kirsten Flipkin. She ends up coming through 7-6-6-7-6-3. On the men's side, big five-set win for Borna Chorch, who had... A dangerous opponent in Juan Ignacio Landero. Landero had a ton of success earlier in 2020. Now, it was on the clay, but still confidence, match toughness. I don't really care about surface right now. I think those are the two things you can't replace more than anything. And yet for George, and this one comes back from two sets to one down, ends up winning 7-5-4-6-6-7-6-2-6-3 in this one. Jamie, of those three matches that went the distance, you know, what do you think of those performances? Well, hey, we needed Pegula for the brackets, right? Um, so great to see her get through that one. At least I did. I don't want to speak for you. But I had her going through a few matches here at the Open. So I, I was glad to see her go through despite dropping the second in a tiebreak. And for me, the, with the 27 seed, Chorich, I mean, listen, as you mentioned, you know, it's not – there's so many different variables going on right now with how wacky 2020 has been in the tennis world. And, you know, there's definitely some question marks around Borna Chorich and where he's going to go from here um, for me, though, regardless of what the level was, getting through matches like this is really important right now because if he's bowing out, um, and no offense to Londero here, but if he's bowing out in a match like this, I mean, there's just so many negatives to take away. Regardless of what happened in the match, though, the fact that mentally he was able to, you know, take the reins in this match and win the fourth and fifth sets, 6-2, 6-3, respectively, that's, really, that's a really good sign for Borna George moving forward. Yeah, it's probably the most confidence he's had after a win in quite a bit of time. And yeah, again, for Borna Chorich, we're all just wondering, how can he compete out there? How is he uh, you know, going to equate himself physically? Can he just find some sort of rhythm, some sort of ease in his game uh, that he hasn't seemingly been able to these past 18 months? And again, two good wins for him. Has it been the prettiest tennis? No, absolutely not. But he finds himself back in a third round of a major, one of the last 32 guys survived. And honestly, I agree with you. I think that's a victory for him uh, coming out of this U.S. Open. Let's look at the rest of the day's matches, though, Jamie. And as I mentioned, fairly straightforward for most of the seeds on the day. You look for the women, Osaka, Kvitova, Martic, Kontave, Kerber, Putin, Seva, and Jennifer Brady, all advancing in straight sets. Which of those players impressed you the most on day three? hard to say impressed the most i mean i would say jennifer brady's one and two result is very impressive um just on its merits right there i think the one that's interesting to me the most probably um is kerber because as i said before and on our wta preview pod right i had a lot of questions about where kerber's at and you know listen it's not her best tennis but she's looking solid and and getting through a second round in straight sets and moving into the third um at another slam is really important for her right now so i'd probably circle those two 
Yeah, no, I mean, look, I think for Osaka, Georgie presented a dangerous threat because of her hamstring. You know, for Osaka, just for health reasons, Georgie's so much power. She plays well. She can hit you off the court, and you're not even going to realize it's happening. But that was a really good win for Osaka. Jen Brady just blew CeCe Bellis off the court. Uh, That was really impressive from her. Annette Conteve continues to rock and roll. Kerber looks really, really good. Friedsome's playing well, so that was a really good win for Kerber. You know, that Petra Martic comes from the clay to get this sort of win on a hard, fast court. Uh, these are all seeds that we did feel comfortable in coming into this one, and you know, I guess I'm feeling pretty good that they all won in straight sets as well. I feel like we're going to get the you know the third round and on that we expected on the women's side, and we expected it to be really fun. It looks like it's going to be really fun as well. So those were the women's results. Let's go to the men now. Again, fairly straightforward on the day. Djokovic, Zverev, both dropping sets, but they end up advancing in four over Edmund and Nakashima, respectively. We also saw wins from Tsitsipas, Gofen, Shapovalov, Fritz, Kareno Busta, Kareinovic, Struf, and Manorino, Barankis over Johnson, Nori, and Thompson, the last two winners, uh, three winners on the day as well. Your thoughts on the rest of the men's results? Yeah, I mean, I think, look, credit to Taylor Fritz for getting through Jill Simone in straight sets. I mean, not that Jill Simone is near the peak of his game or does he pose, you know, the largest threat. But, hey, the, still, the, the guy is still a veteran of the tour and can make you, you know, hit a ton of balls. And so I think that's a great test for Taylor Fritz because, you know, hey, if he's just spraying balls, right, that's going to be a very, very difficult match. So credit to him for really steadying that ship, getting through in straight sets. Um, you know, I, I will say a good performance from Sitsipas, right? Cressy was serving very well in this match, at least for the portions that I was watching, and putting a ton of pressure on him throughout the entire match. And pretty much every question that he was asked, um, Tsitsipas answered. So I think he's had a ton of he's had a ton of reps against the big servers, against that all-out pressure game, both in Cincinnati and now in the U.S. Open. So I'm really looking for Tsitsipas to move through this draw. And honestly, he's probably just looking for a match now where he can actually get into some rhythm. Yeah, Tsitsipas is like, can I please play someone who just plays normal tennis? He's like, what do I have to do to play a Sun Wukwan? He's like, I will. Like, I'll trade any of you. He was like, literally, Djokovic, I'll trade you Cressy for Edmund at this point as opponents just so I can play some serious tennis. Yeah, I mean, it, it's for Stefano Tsitsipas, it's just that he's playing to big targets. He just seems so confident. I'm just so happy with the way he's competed, which, given his slate of opponents, that's really all you can see from him from a tennis perspective at this point. I thought Kyle Edmund, I know he lost this match in four. I'm more encouraged about Kyle Edmund's tennis now than I was at any point during 2019. Obviously, he won a title early in 2020 in New York, but the forehand, uh, you know, continues to amaze. I think he's physically gotten more impressive. He's a better mover. The backhand's gotten more solid as well. I mean, a tough opponent for anyone to play. Obviously, Novak Djokovic, That's you're going to have to play the match of your life, but really liked the way he competed. And then just quickly on Zverev Nakashima, it was everything I wanted, like absolutely everything. Brandon Nakashima, that was, you know, his coming out party for a lot of tennis fans who may not have seen him before, uh, and he just equated himself so well. I mean, defensively, the guy's just a rock, and the way he slides into shots when he's playing defense on a hard court, that's just one of those little things that if you're, a, you know, you watch enough tennis, that's the difference. A good mover slides out of the shot, a great mover slides into the shot, and that's what Brandon Nakashima does at the flip side you know I thought he just was rock solid from the baseline he kept attacking 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 Zverev trying to move forward trying to put 
pressure on Zverev, particularly given he knew he was at a firepower disadvantage. But, I mean, Alex Zverev in this match, Jamie, uh, 10 double faults. But other than that, 81 of 97 on first serve points, uh, 84% conversion right there. He made 75% of his first serves. He was hitting serves. What'd you say? I think the average speed was in like the high 120s, low 130s. I mean, we talked about this off, uh, you know, when we were just talking yesterday off mic, but that was one of those matches where you got the 10 minutes where you're like, oh my God, Alex Virev can do things on a tennis court that no other human can do. Yeah, look, he looked really good. And I will say this, I don't want to take this away from Zverev, but, you know, if you if you watch this match, you saw the level of Nakashima drop. You know, yes, mm-hmm. as, that was a great win for him in set two, but, you know, his serving percentage and effectiveness was pretty solid in set two. But then when you move on to set three and four, you can just see the percentages drop of both first serve in and that win percentage on both. And, you know, look, credit to Alex Zverev for being the returner he is. I think, you know, we've talked about this, and I know I've said it, a very underrated returner, um, very solid Alex Verev. But at the end of the day, right, I mean, with the serving performance Verev puts up with 24 aces and hitting him huge, it would be very surprising to see him lose this match. So a good, clean performance from Zverev. Yeah, he dropped that crazy second set, 10-8 in the breaker, but nonetheless a good win for him to get under his belt. Yeah, I mean, how many times in those first two sets was he down love 30 or 15-40 and he just served his way out of trouble? And yeah, 10 double faults, again, that's still too high. But the signs are there. And I kind of... I don't hate the fact he seems to be going for first serves on second serves. He seems to just be thinking, you know what? I'm just going to have one speed on the serve and it's going to be full speed. And if I miss it, so be it. But at least I'm not, you know you know, uh, sorry for using this term, but like f***ing around. I'm like, I'm not messing around anymore. I have decided this is how I'm going to play on the serve and we'll see what happens. Double fault or not, I'm going to live with my results. And I kind of like that, that he's keeping it that simple. Yeah, listen, I mean, there were definitely some times where he threw in huge second serves. I mean, I know he, I know for a fact he hit one, at least one 137. So yeah, he's going for it. Curious is smiling somewhere probably. <laughs> Exactly. It's an honor of him. I love that. Well, yeah, that was a really good win for Zverev over Nakashima. And again, uh, I think someone posted to me, 2020 Alex Zverev, 7-1 right now at majors or something crazy like that. So to all of you out there, of course, I just jinxed him now. He's definitely losing his third round match, but it was a really good performance from him. I thought a really good performance for Shapovalov as well. And then we talked about this and, you know, you were on court evidently during this loss, but, you know, Fritz over Simone, Fritz taking him in straight sets. That to me also very encouraging, particularly given the way Fritz had played through his first three matches in New York. Yeah, absolutely. I know I I touched on it earlier, but just great to see. And that's a big confidence boost because if you can get through a guy like that in straights, you know, you you can handle a lot of challenges that are going to be thrown your way. What are you going to do with your second round prize money, Jills? Oh, I don't know. Buy something nice for myself. (laughs) Hang out in New York for a little bit. Who knows? (laughs) I got options. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You nailed it there. Yeah, and I mean, you know, for Jack Sock, didn't surprise me. He lost at all, but I thought for him to get that first win. It was a rough day for Americans just in general on the men's side. Fritz, the only winner. Cressy, Nakashima, Kruger, Giron, Mo, Sock, Johnson, all knocked off on the day. But overall, we were treated to some really good tennis, so I know all of us enjoying day three. And looking forward to the second half of round two as we kick off play on day four. Jamie, I'm going to ask you what I ask you every day. Give me the matches on the men's and women's side you're going to be watching most closely 
Yeah, I think first for me, and it's one of the first ones on, so that helps. On the men's side, Kuznetsov and Hachinov is really interesting to me. The, the all-Russian matchup, it's interesting for a lot of reasons. I want to see how consistent that performance was or could be from Kuznetsov because he did look good and lesson query did not look his best but I'm very curious especially because Hatchinoff coming out of five set win I think Hatchinoff should expect to win this thing in straights and just get through it but I don't know if he's going to be able to so I think after that performance with center after dropping those first two sets I think he needs to send a message um, that he is the top dog here and you know he's going to come out swinging and win this thing convincingly so that one's very interesting to me i'm definitely going to be watching it um tiafo millman one that we talked about last night as you know a stay away on the ace of the day but still not a stay away if you're a fan just watching right so i'm going to be very very invested in that one um the other one if i had to mention one on the men's side would be jj wolf and carbeas Benya. um just curious to see how jj holds up in this second round match right I know you and I talked about this as well. Could be a tough matchup with the Spaniards' ability to just grind things out. But hey, if JJ's offense is working like it was in round one, um, there's no reason he can't win this match. Yeah, I, flip, I mean, do you want me to flip to the women's? Or do you want to talk about men's? First? No, I was just say let's let's quickly stick on the men's side. Shocking to me, shocking that you threw Hatchinov Kuznetsov in there. Yeah, Kuznetsov, you know, first unranked player since Nick Kiefer to win a match at a Grand Slam um, uh, on the men's side. Uh, so since 2007, I think was that number. But Hatchinov should beat him. And I know Hatchinov played a really physical first round match. If Karen Hatchinov loses this match, it's back to red alert. I will be shocked. Yeah, I will and be that's shocked. what I mean. I think he should win this in straight. So that's why I'm curious yeah. about it because I need I need to see where Hatchinov is for me mm-hmm. feeling confident in him throughout the draw because if he wins this in straights i'm like okay you know he's got his head on straight he's good if he struggles through this thing or loses then i'm feeling really low on karen national okay okay with that clarification i now understand yeah that made i makes a lot of sense to me i mean look it's a great day you mentioned tiafo millman i think there's some other fun ones rba kesmenovich that's a grind dimitrov fucevich that's upset alert rusevori versus casper rude you know rusevori right now on DraftKings a favorite i don't really get that but you know, I'm really excited, much like for Christian Guerin. What does Casper Road actually look like on a hard court? We still don't know. And then, obviously, the headline, the nightcap, FAA Andy Murray. I will be tuned in from start to finish. You can follow me live on Twitter during that. As I promise, I'll be sharing my thoughts. Again, as these matches get further and further, the margins between these players get tighter and tighter. We're going to be treated to some really great tennis today. I will be shocked if we have results as lopsided as they were on day three on the men's side. Yeah, no, I'll be I'll be very shocked as well. Except you know the one that I expect Hatchinov, that one better be lopsided. But yes, other than that, there are some great clashes set to happen. No, for sure. Well, then let's flip gears here. Talk about your favorite women's matches on day four. Yeah, there's a couple for me. I think one is Sabalenka Azarenka. Um, you know, I, I've got this upset called in my bracket, so I won it for Vika Azarenka. She looked <laughs> so good um, in Cincinnati. So I you know I expect. Her to show up in this, you know, all Belarus affair. But regardless, I mean, Sabalenka is going to have to bring her A game no matter what because Azarenka is there to compete. That one's very enticing to me. You and I talked about Jabor and Kanepi um, last night. I think mm-hmm. this one is very interesting. I expect Jabor to win, but I still want to see it play out. Um, mm-hmm. The other one for me, if I had to pick one more, would probably be McNally and Alexandrova. Um, just because, you know, we saw what Alexandrova can do. And I'm curious to see if she gets through this one while rooting for the young American in McNally. 
Yeah, all good picks. I would add two more to that list. Sophia Kennan versus Layla Fernandez. Yeah, those are two. Yeah, those are two really, really, really talented young players. Who, yeah, we've talked about Fernandez enough on this podcast, so I don't have to say why she's interesting. Needless to say, that's going to be a really fun match. Two names I mentioned earlier: Amanda Nisimova versus Katrina Scott. Katrina Scott. Uh, Cracked Interviews guest, obviously Amanda Nisimova, not ready to face the gauntlet here on the Cracked Interviews podcast, but no, I'm just kidding, we just haven't had the chance to talk to her, obviously. Um, That's two young Americans, both immensely talented. I'm really interested to see how Scott competes. This is a match Anisimova should win, and it's hilarious that she's 18, right? And she's already playing players younger than her on tour. She's the veteran in this one. Really interesting to see how she responds uh, to that environment. But yeah, from If you're not watching Sabalenka Azarenka from First Strike, this is a match with legitimate U.S. Open title implications. The winner of this match, if you see them end up in the winner's circle, I it would surprise me, but it wouldn't shock me. And so I, I completely agree with you. That's a headlined match as well, and it's just a really fun uh, slate of matches on the women's side again. Yeah, it's going to be a fun day of tennis on both sides. I, you know, Quickly to address that. I think that Sabalenka and Azarenka, as you mentioned, both of those people are contenders. So whoever comes out of that, you know, especially if it's a clean performance, is going to be really, really dangerous moving out throughout the draw. Yeah, completely agree with you. And of course, there are a lot of other really fun doubles matches on the grounds as well. So just in general, we all can look forward to a great day of tennis. And if you want to hear more of our picks for day four, be sure again to go check out our GSP Ace of the Day presented by DraftKings. Jamie joining me last night as we made our picks. I'll just quickly recap those right now because why not, Jamie, after a night of sleeping on it, curious what you think. The ones we had on the day, Jabour minus 190 over Kanepi, Demon Hour over Gasquet, and Evans over Moutet parlayed together, and then a Jabour, Evans, Demon Hour, Alexandrova parlay. Any of those scare you more after a couple of hours of sleep? Oh, not too much. Still just as worried. <laughs> I would say for me, I mean, the you know, we talked about it too on the pod, but the Jabor Kanepi, you know, we said if the parlay is going to break somewhere, it's potentially there. I don't, again, I don't know why, but for some reason it scares me. I can't, I can't, I can't articulate it. No, I'm again. What do what does DraftKings know that we don't? Why exactly. is Jabour only minus one ninety? It doesn't make sense to me. But I agree, it's going to be a really fun day of action. And of course, all of you join us tomorrow as we will recap day four, preview day five here on this mini break podcast. And if you've missed out on any of the action, of course, you can find all of our content covering this year's U.S. Open on our website, CrackedRackets.com. Ben Rothenberg and I breaking the story of what those COVID nineteen protocols look like from the USTA following Benoit Pair's positive test. We also talk about the Pair 11 as well, those players impacted by his positive test who now face advanced quarantine measures while in this U.S. Open bubble. And again, uh, you know, great shot podcast for our daily aces of the day. I believe this week on the Correct Interviews podcast, Jamie Dennison Men's Tennis Head Coach Dave Schilling joined us on the show. I know that that was my gift to you. Happy early, I suppose, birthday. I appreciate it very much. Now it's good. Um, yeah, everybody should go give that a listen because he's going to take that program to some great places. Um, you know, hey, you know, you said it. if it wasn't going to be me coaching that, it's uh, I'm very <laughs> glad it's Shills. Dude, dude's a great guy. He knows what he's doing. Um, and you know, I still talk to a lot of the players on the team, and you know, they're really excited to have him. You know, there's there's already been a difference in energy on the court, and um, I think it's really important for that squad. So it, that I'm really looking forward to the next few years for that team. 
Mm-hmm. Huge assumption to make here, Jamie. But over, let's say we get college tennis back over under March twelfth, two thousand twenty-one. That the Great Shot Podcast just becomes a Dennis and Men's Tennis Podcast exclusively. Hmm. I don't. I don't see it happening unless you allow it. So I guess that's really <laughs> up to you at this point. <laughs> oh, I appreciate that you grant me sort. Well, let me just say in advance then that you know I allow it. I'm totally down to get on right. the Dennis well, and wagon go. with you. Yeah, big Shills fan too. So uh, be sure to go check out that podcast. And again, like, rate, subscribe, review this podcast, the Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews, and Inside Out Podcast. Go follow us on YouTube as well. You can see those aces of the day as videos each and every night. Super producer Daniel Westoff getting them out right away. I promise you this to anyone watching the videos. I'm shaving today. This beard has to go. It's itchy now. It's just uncomfortable. I'm, you can, I'm at that point where I can feel feel the mustache and that's just the worst like I just I can't stand that and I know Jamie you can rock some facial hair as well so um, that's erroneous I suppose just a fun ending here right that's when the mustache gets itchy that's when it's got to go I feel you there but I don't think our listeners care so (laughs) I hate to break it to you (laughs) no I think that's a perfect place to leave us for day four as we begin no yeah you're absolutely right and shout out I'm gonna ask him to leave it in I won't give him some extra editing to do but shout out as always to our super producers Max Flinker and Daniel Westoff for the of an editing job they do day in day out they could have cut that had I asked but I'm gonna leave that in because I think you guys wanted to hear about a minute of mustache talk at the end but with that in mind Jamie any final thoughts you ready to go watch some tennis I'm ready to go watch some tennis well, then, with that in mind, for my wonderful co-host, James Fulster McDonald, our super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jamie, what do we tell the people? That's a break. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.